0: learn also from his words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sometimes you just get jostled, and you need to just stop, be quiet, and listen, and say, Lord, this is yours. So we're going to be studying living as exiles. Who sometimes feels like an exile in this country, in this world? You don't have your hand up. You probably, you kind of just not even... You're just drifting along. You're not seeing much of what happens. It's just kind of crazy. Uh, and it's nothing new. There's been craziness forever. I've been reading a series of autobiographies and uh, biographies of uh, different people, and I'm preparing a talk talking about the Camp family here and what they went through in the 1850s. And I'm going to be presenting that in a couple of months, not here. But I just looked at all the troubles they went through and all the problems and all the social conditions, the slavery issue and all of these things. And it just reminds me that troubles and trials and tribulations are nothing new to us. You know, they're, they've been going on ever since people have known the Lord and followed the Lord. And Peter is writing a group of what he calls pilgrims or exiles. These are probably Gentiles and Jews who have been under this persecution that began there in Rome, and they were being chased down and, and sought out and killed. And he's just going to give the information to us from his heart, and it's so interesting because Peter is kind of the most unlikely of all messengers. This is a blue-collar worker. He's a fisherman. He is a now going to call himself an apostle, but we're going to dwell on Peter a little. Some of y'all missed Wednesday. I'm not going to repeat Wednesday, but I'm going to supplement it. I thought we had a really neat time on Wednesday looking at his life, but I want to begin by reading this bit of the Word that we're going to focus on today. We're going to cover a huge amount of Scripture. It's going to be two verses. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, this is 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 2, and I call this greeting to the elect pilgrims. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims at the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience or of the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. It's kind of amazing because Peter is the most unlikely of people to bring this message. As I said, he is a rough guy. We scholars think, I'm not saying we, as though I'm a scholar, but scholars think he probably didn't even know the Greek language. He was a Jewish fisherman. He was out there. I showed this slide that I made up on Sunday. This is an early icon of the Eastern Church. It's kind of fun to go look at the icons because they are so old. Some of them date back to 100 AD. So we think that probably they looked like the people that are in these icons. Oh great, that is reflecting very Jewish looking, very uh, brown fisherman guy, rough on the edges. And there at the top is his name, his real name, at least his human name was Shimon uh, Bar Yonah. And what that means in Hebrew is the listener, the son of a dove. It's kind of funny because when we think of Peter, we don't think of him listening a lot. Peter was a person that hated silence in the conversation. And he paused he was going to jump in and say something just because it felt uncomfortable to him. And when Jesus first called him and met him, he told him, he said, Peter, not only am I going to give you a new role, a new status, I'm going to give you a new name. And he said, he said, you're no longer going to be a fisher of fish, but you'll be a fisher of men. And you will no longer be Simon Bar-Yonah, he says, but you are going to be called Petros. You're going to be called, he really called him Kephas, Kephas. That would be the Hebrew or Aramaic word that means a pebble. He says, you're my pebble. And he said, and on this pebble, I'm going to end up building a pillar of my church. Peter and Paul are referred to in Galatians as the pillars of the church, or it may have been an Acts. Not sure right now. Peter was absolutely essential in God's plan to bring the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. And interestingly enough, Peter is mentioned more in the gospels than anybody else except for Jesus. He was rugged. He was passionate. He was hot blooded, okay? And it's easy to study Peter to see how we too can grow in our faith. Jesus sought him out because he saw in Peter the person that Peter was to become. And I want to remind each of us when the Lord seeks us out, he doesn't see all of our faults and failures, he sees us for who we really are supposed to be. Isn't that a great thing? Isn't that grace? that he saw favor for what favor was supposed to be. And if I stay near to Jesus, as Peter did, and this will be how we end the sermon, Peter ended up being who he was because of how close he stayed to Jesus. If you and I end up staying close to Jesus, we're going to end up becoming who we're always meant to be. Amen. As we submit our lives to him, we become what we were meant to be. And on Wednesday, we saw his first encounter where Jesus called him Kephas, or a pebble. Peter was the one, remember, that walked on water, okay? There he is. It's a simple fisherman. He was the one that walked on water, and Jesus invited him to get out of the boat, and it's easy to criticize him. We all know. What happened to Peter when he got on the water? Huh? He got scared. He got scared yeah, but what happened? He went into the water. He sunk, okay? And we're all quick to go, well, yeah, he took his eyes off of Jesus, And uh, he sunk right into that water. You know what? Peter's the only one that got out of the boat. And God is looking for people that will get out of the boat. He's looking for people not only that will get out of the boat, but once they're out of the boat, will keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. Because Peter was filled with fear because he began to rely on his own understanding. All right? Instead of relying his own understanding about water depth, about wind, about all this stuff that came, and he got his eyes really off of the peace that Jesus could bring into his life. And I want to tell you all that we all sink when we take our eyes off of Jesus. We really, really do. I do. This morning, for some reason, things seemed out of sort. I got up and I prayed. We came here. Like I said, there was battery problems. The problem is I forgot to go get batteries, and so did everybody else. And these little things can end up robbing and stealing our joy unless we stop and say, Lord, you are sovereign over everything. If we don't have batteries, we're just going to do it like people did for the last 2,000 years before they had amplification. And then up on Caesarea Philippi, remember, that's that place up on the hill we looked at Wednesday. This is the place where Peter genuinely recognized Jesus for who he was. He was the first one that I said kind of got it, okay? I'm going to read this to you. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjon. I thought it was interesting. He called him by his old name. For flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And he uses a word in Greek, Petros. And on this rock, and he wasn't talking about Peter, he calls it Petra, and on this Petra, I will build my church. What is the Petra? The Petra is the gospel. It is the proclamation of what Jesus said. Some denominations have made a big mistake and said, well, he was saying here he's going to build it on Peter. No, he's building it on the Petra. That's the gospel. And on the confession that Peter had that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he says, and I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Everyone got the written sermon this morning, so you have these references. Jesus said, You are Petros, the little pebble, and I'm going to build this church on this rock, the gospel. Peter got it. He realized that Jesus was Yeshua. He was the Messiah because he had seen right there, uh, this is called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus appeared and was talking to Moses and Elijah. and, And Peter realized that this is somebody far, far greater than maybe we had all imagined. And he made that declaration, and I love this slide. You are the Messiah. He's Yeshua, you are the Messiah. We know from John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So at one time, uh, I find this an interesting anecdote in the Gospels. This is in John 6. Uh, it says that many, many disciples began to leave Jesus. Do you all remember that passage? It's, it's a really interesting thing. And uh, I'm going to read it. It's John six sixty six through 69. And it says, from that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Peter's going to give this direction. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe that you are the Christ. That means the Messiah, the son of the living God. Sometimes we feel like turning away. When Russell and I and Michael were ministering together in the home fellowship, one day we were talking and we said, gosh, it just it gets so discouraging. We're working so hard, we're praying so hard, we're leaving these things to the Lord. And 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 Russell, sweet Russell, said, Who are we going to turn to? Jesus is the Christ, He's the Son of the Living God. That was Peter's confession. I've never forgotten that moment. And I thought, yeah, who am I going to turn to? Uh, in the last part of Judy's life, Larry and I went up to see her. She said, I need you all to come. She, she called out for us. She said, I want you to come and anoint me with oil and pray for me. That's what the book of James says, that when you're sick, you call on the elders of the church. So Larry and I went. Where is Larry? Is he in here. Okay, Larry's in the back running the sound. Thank you, Larry. And we anointed her with oil, and she said, Pastors, I need prayer because I'm about ready to give up on God. She said, I am in so much pain. How could God love me and let me be enduring what I'm going through? So we got down, and we prayed with her, and we anointed her, and we said, Lord, take the pain away from her. This was like on Friday. She says, I've got to have it taken away. I just, it's hard for me to believe anymore. And then on Monday morning, I had a procedure up there on a tooth, And I thought, well, I'm going to drop in and see Judy. And when I did, she got up in her bed, Tyler. She held her hands up in the air. She said, Pastor, the Lord came to me in the night. He never has forsaken me. He never abandoned me. My pain is gone. I love him so much. I know that I'm in the center of his will. And he's either going to take me to heaven or he's going to take me back to Stoneham where I can at least live in a wheelchair and not be in pain. That is what this is talking about. All right? Isn't that that a great thing that I got to experience that? She's like, to whom will I go? Jesus, he's the way, all right? Peter's also the one that boasted, all right? He boasted, uh, got a great thing here. He answered and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter also boasted, okay? He boasted at the Last Supper that he was ready to die with Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to die with you. And as Jesus was arrested, Peter took a sword, remember that one? He took the sword, and he cut off uh, a servant of the high priest, jumping into defending. But later that night, he denied Jesus, and he denied even knowing him three times, all right? Yep, there's still a whole lot of Peter in all of us, at least there is in me. But after that horrible trauma of the crucifixion, there's the there he is. I love this. I pulled this verse up. Then he began to curse and swear. Not only did he deny that he knew Jesus, he got into a cussing fit about it. He says, I don't know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out, and he wept bitterly. There's the rooster. I just, I love that picture. You know, so there he gave up on the Lord. He lied about it. He said, I don't know him, never knew him, and uh, yet when, uh, just three days later, when The women went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices and to dress him and and all that. They came back and they told the other disciples about the fact that they had gotten there and that Jesus was gone, okay? And what does it tell us in the scripture? It says, uh, the angels asked, why do you seek the living among the dead? This is talking to the ladies. He is not here. He is risen. They raced back to tell the disciples what had happened, and only Peter responded positively. Everybody else thought that the women were babbling, okay? Uh, they, and it, I'm going to read you this out of Luke 24. And it was Mary Magdalene, jo- Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose, and he ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. I love this rendition. Look at the hope in Peter's face. He got up and he thought, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, what Jesus said was going to happen really happened. He got up and he ran to the tomb, and that shows his belief that Jesus indeed had risen from the dead. When Jesus then appeared to the twelve, we're told in Scripture that Peter, saw him afar off, and he dove into the water and swam to the shore to meet Jesus, okay? Therefore, this is John 21, 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, and whenever John says that, he's talking about himself. It's kind of odd. Said to Peter, it is our Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it, and he plunged into the sea. That's John 21, 7. So in these, lead, in these letters that we're now going to read, Peter was writing to people undergoing tremendous persecution. He's instructing them how to conduct themselves, how to handle the persecution, how to handle the problems of life, and the basic message that Peter's going to give us in these two books, if we're flying over it from 30,000 feet, is trust in the Lord and obey Him in everything. That's the bottom line of what we're going to learn. Now, I want to go back and look at the Uh, first two verses, and I want to warn you all that you're not going to be able to understand everything about God. I grew up in a Bible church where they kind of made us feel like they knew everything there was to know about God. And I I ended up calling it a cigar box God. Y'all see the cigar box? When we were kids, you guys that are younger than us that are probably born from in the late 50s or mid-50s, When we went to school, we put everything in a cigar box. Who who put their stuff in a cigar box? I did. You younger kids don't even know what a cigar box is. You would get it from Uncle Joe or Grandpa or somebody and go to school and put all your pencils and stuff, and that was in your cigar box. So years ago, when I first felt led to do some seminary work, I went to this guy's seminary. I would go once a month, and I did it for a year. And it's like they had all the answers to all the doctrines. There were doctrine of this, doctrine of that, had God totally figured out. And one day I said, you know what? Y'all have God so figured out you could fit him in a cigar box. And I said, I don't want anything to do with a God that can be fit in a cigar box. Because a a God that can be fit into my cigar box can't help me with my problems. You know why? Because I'm holding the cigar box, right? And as Pastor Michael always tells us, we've got to get beyond ourselves to get to him. So a couple of things here that are mysteries today that I want to talk about. Two mysteries of, of the faith. One is the mystery when we see the word election, okay? And I understand that everybody in here doesn't agree with me, and that's okay. This is not salvific. Anyone know what salvific means? It's not going to save you if you get this right or wrong, okay? It's not salvific, but I want to talk to you about how I interpret these scriptures when I come to something that talks about our election. If we go back to that verse 1, if you have your Bible open, it says, Peter, who is an apostle. I need to talk about that first. Peter was an apostle of Jesus. That means he was sent, okay? He was sent, and there are no modern apostles. You see on TV, people will say they're Apostle uh, Tom or Apostle Philip. There are no apostles now. You don't need to take my sermons. They're never going to end up in Scripture. All Scripture has been written. So there's no modern-day apostles. He said, I am an apostle. That means sent in Greek. I am sent by Jesus to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. So he's saying that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of of God the Father and I want you to look at the simple words there that says we are elect because of the foreknowledge of God that God knew about this okay of the Father so what is election based on it says right there it's based on the foreknowledge of God how you were chosen is because God knew beforehand and get get out of the cigar box try to get into the mind of God God knew before the beginning of time Stephanie that you would choose him that you, Aaron, would choose him, that Linda would choose him, Cassandra would choose him, Michael would choose him, Doreen would choose him. He knew that, but he still gave you the free choice to decide or not to decide to receive him. Do you all understand me? And so in the fact that he knew that you were going to choose him, you become what's considered the elect of God. And I think that's really what Peter's telling us there. He says you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Then he goes on to say, in sanctification, by the Spirit, sanctification is that process where not our standing, but our status, we become more and more Christ-like. You're standing, remember what I taught you two or three weeks ago, is that you're righteous before the Father, but you know what, your flesh still competes, doesn't it? And so it's through the Holy Spirit operating in and through us that we become more and more like Him, that our attitudes become more and more like Him. Was I saved, Michael, when you first met me 20 years ago? But have I changed a little bit? Don't say amen too loud. Okay, Michael's seen a change in me. I've seen a change in Michael. I've seen a change in, in, uh, in, in Scott. And all of that is due to the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's what he does in each of your lives. If you've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and you've decided to receive him as your Savior, I'm reading this because I don't want anyone to say, well, you said such and such. You are included in what the Bible calls the elect. God knew that you would come to him, and that is what Peter refers to as our election. We were made holy by the Holy Spirit, actually by the blood of Christ. That's wrong there. We are, we are made more and more sanctified, meaning in, in like Christ, by the operation of the Holy Spirit through the obedience of Jesus who shed his blood for us. It was the blood of Christ that brought about our salvation. Now, some argue that we're incapable to receive the Lord. That does not, to me, fit into all of Scripture. And let me show you some Scriptures why I believe that. And I realize that some people disagree with me, and that's okay. And we have a hard time understanding this because we're confined in time. God isn't, all right? With God, there is no time. Now is then, and then is now, and what will be is now, and it was, okay? We can't think about that. So God, being God, has the capability to know how we would end up choosing. He knew that before we were even born, okay? And so because of that, we're referred to as the elect. But to become the elect, when you were presented with the opportunity to receive the gospel, you made a choice to receive it or not receive it, all right? And Jesus says that. He says in John 1, or John says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. When you chose him, when you received him, he gave you the right to become a child of him, child of God. So anyway, salvation can be seen from God's perspective in man's perspective. From our perspective, it says that we have to receive him. From God's perspective, he knew that we were going to receive him, and we were elected, okay? <clears throat> Scripture tells us also that the responsibility is belie- in believing is on us. This is John 12, 46. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Who? Whoever believes in me will not abide in darkness. To believe, you have to willfully believe, all right? I don't make Sandy believe anything. She decides to believe something or not believe it. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, look, Jesus says, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And then the one that we're all familiar with, and this speaks to the universality of salvation, not that everybody's saved, but I believe that God presents every single human being that was ever born the opportunity to accept him or reject him. All right? He doesn't go, well, you know what? I think I'm going to damn this person, and I think I'm going to save him, and damn that one, and damn this one, and damn that one, and I think I'll save her, okay? Okay? Otherwise, these verses wouldn't be in there. It's all coupled together. For God so loved the whole world, okay, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that who? Whoever. And I love the King James. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. When you put your faith in him and you believed in him, that is the moment that you were saved. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay? And I just want to say something. Uh, I've People get off in these camps, and you can get so busy getting off into this camp. You know, I'm in this Calvinist camp, or I'm in this Armenian camp, or I'm in this camp. You're so busy protecting your camp that you're not serving Jesus. Seriously. And I'm not saying we shouldn't discuss theology, but if we get too hung up on this kind of stuff, you are not going to end up buying groceries for the family down the street that's in need and needs, and God lays on your heart to go buy them groceries. You're going to be so busy arguing theology, you can't go next door and change your neighbor's tire. All right. So I'm just saying it pulls us very quickly out of the practical, uh, position of following the Lord and walking in the spirit and doing things. Uh, I, that's all I really want to say about that. I've written more about it in there. Okay. Uh, in the sermon, which you got today. Now I want to speak about the Trinity the trinity cuz he he puts the trinity in here if you look he says he says we are elect by God the Father this is one of the only verses in the bible that has the whole trinity in it elect according to the foreknowledge of God sanctified of the spirit by it can be it's a, it's a genitive in the in the greek of the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ grace to you and peace you. i want to talk about the trinity for a minute who in here understands the trinity wow there's some brilliant people in here i don't understand the trinity all right that's why i put trinity i can't put it in that cigar box i don't understand it but this is the way uh it was presented to us in dr house's uh course that he gave us i guess that was last about a year ago the Trinity is God in three persons, all right. Maybe we sing that in holy, holy, holy. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And and when I say I, I don't mean to criticize anyone saying you understand it. I mean I understand that you understand it because you believe God's word, right? But I'm saying understanding how this works is kinda it's kinda hard to imagine that Jesus, when he was lying in the manger and Mary was holding him, that he was holding the entire universe together. All right, but you know what? He was because he was all God as he laid there in Mary's arms. He was holding everything together. That's, that's what I'm saying. How does God do that? I don't know. I'm not God. Anyway, the Trinity, Dr. House taught us, is one what? The one what means that God being whatever God is, it's one God, but three who's. This is kind of like Horton and the who, right? But it's, it's one what. And three whos. The what is the nature of God, the attributes of God. Here they are. I want to show them to you. There's sovereignty. God is sovereign over everything. You could, these are ten. Uh, these are ancient attributes uh, that even the Jews looked at around the time of Jesus. God is perfect righteousness. That means he's holy. He's perfect justice, okay? Uh, he, he's love. He's eternal. He's going to be forever. He's everywhere. That's omnipresent. I'm sorry that I put that in there twice. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. That means he knows everything. He's all powerful and he's everywhere. Y'all follow me? He is unchanging and he's perfect truth. And I want to say to you right now that those attributes are held by God, the father. Those attributes are held by God, the son, Jesus. Those, all of those attributes, all of those are held also by the Holy Spirit. Y'all follow me? So that's what God is. He just somehow contains these in three persons. That's, that's what I'm getting at. So whatever makes God, God, the father is that, the son is that, and the spirit is that. Yet they are distinct as to their own person and how they operate and work in our lives. Amen? Amen. So when we get to the end, or to this end, I just kind of wanted to introduce Peter, is that Peter's status was changed, okay? Peter, Jesus saw Peter, and he saw who Peter was meant to be. He changed his name from Simon to Peter. He changed his status from being a fisher of fish to a fisher of men. And as Peter spent time with Jesus, his heart was changed, and he became everything that God always meant him to be. So what I want is I want us to do the same, to spend more time with Jesus. Say, Lord, walk this day with me. Hold my hand, Lord. Guide me. Guide me as I teach the men. Guide me as I minister to my mom. Lord, you be there with me. Be beside me, Lord, as I go from earthly life into heaven, as Judy did. And I think Judy was holding on to Jesus' hand just as hard as she could. And more importantly, he was holding on to her. All right? So let's do the same. It's a choice. Peter had true spiritual maturity, and I keep coming back to this theme. Because you can know all about the Trinity, but if you don't trust in Jesus, you're not very spiritually mature. You can know all about election, what that all means, but if you're not trusting in Jesus, there's no spiritual maturity. You can memorize 569 verses in the Old and New Testament. But if you haven't learned to trust Jesus, there's no spiritual maturity. Guys, the older I get, the more I am understanding. Oh, I'm really understanding it, that spiritual maturity is for me to learn to trust Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.